Welcome to the Truth to Power Show on Radio for Brooklyn. This is our final um, broadcast uh, after five years of uh, uh, broadcasting from Brooklyn. Uh, this broadcast we're pre-recording, um, and then it's going to be broadcast on uh, August 28th at 11 a.m. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm here with Kate Ballou, uh, wonderful uh, speaker and, uh, and person. Um, I have her bio up here. Uh, Kate Blue is a Brooklyn-based writer, poet, storyteller, and witch. Uh, Kate's work spans genres and spaces, poetry, nonprofits, immersive theater, um, health and wellness, herbalism, witchcraft, and the psychedelic. A lot of the themes that we've dealt with in the show. Um, she has a uh, decade of experience in writing, facilitation, and teaching, copywriting, social media, and content marketing. Uh, is the founder of The Bardo, a writing school for word witches and storytellers. You can find her on the weekly podcast she co-hosts uh, called Magic and Alchemy, is the author of the chapbook uh, 13 Writing Spells with Loombound, and has an MFA from Sarah Lawrence College in writing, and has studied uh, herbalism, uh, astrology, energy healing, and green witchcraft. Welcome, Kate. Thank you so much. I'm so honored to be here and congratulations on five, five years. That's so beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. It's been really great. And we had some great conversations last week. Actually, we had a conversation with an astrologer, a professional astrologer. Ah. So we're, it's really great to have you following that up. Um, you know, it, it's good to talk a little bit about Libra season, which has started. Uh, that might be a good entry point. Then we can talk a little bit about you and your journey. But if you have any comments about, mm-hmm. you know, starting this new, uh, site, new, new, uh, zodiac um area you know if any comments of what, what's coming up for you in this this month yeah. yeah yeah so it's virgo season now so libra will come a bit oh, Libra, sorry. yeah uh, right right yeah sorry, but yeah. uh but virgo season began on the on the 22nd 23rd depending on where you are and we actually have a virgo new moon on on saturday so this i believe this is airing on sunday um but yeah, it, I mean, Virgo season, Virgo, so to me, is such a precise sign, like a detail-oriented sign sometimes, but it's also a mutable earth sign, right? So like groundedness, but also letting go. So like checking in, making an assessment on what's working and not working, and kind of being brutal uh, in the sort of like attention that is given there. I think that that's something that Virgo can teach teach really well perspective yeah attention to detail yeah yeah thank you thank you so why don't we talk a little bit about your journey uh a little bit into like how you got into all this mystical witchcraft and and kind of like how you how it brought you to the influences of your family and all this kind of stuff yeah yeah so I I mean I think that a lot of my loves were formed within the first five years of my life. And, and I give a lot of thanks and gratitude, especially to my, my grandmothers, um, Grandma Joan and Grandma Lucy, uh, who were so instrumental in a lot of my passions. Um, I grew up down the street from my Grandma Lucy, and we did a lot of gardening together. There was lots of fairy tales. There was sort of this like magical love of storytelling that was so integral to my childhood. And, um, you know, uh, same thing with my Grandma Joan, an amazing librarian, lover of books, 
rescuer of dogs. Um, and I, all of these things have just kind of like, were just cemented in at a young age. And, you know, I feel like a lot of my life and my work has just been getting back to those passions over the years. Um, you know, I remember getting my first book of poems, which was Emily Dickinson for young people. And my dad gave me this book and we would sit down together. And every time we would see a word that we didn't know, we would either go to the index of the book and look it up, or we would go to the dictionary and this sort of like tactile co-reading experience is, you know, I, I just remember falling in love with poems and being like, yes, this is it, you know? Yeah, it's great. That's great. And this, you grew up in Michigan, correct? Or I did. Michigan, yeah, yeah. Southwest about- Michigan. Yeah, tell us a little bit about kind of your journey into and how you came to New York and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I went to Kalamazoo College, uh, which was amazing for undergraduate. I got to study with Diane Seuss, who is an incredible, incredible poet and teacher. Um, she was an amazing mentor to me in undergrad. But when I graduated, I wasn't really quite sure what to do. So I ended up in, in Detroit for a year, which was great. It's an amazing city. And um, I was doing... Uh, global communications for Ford Automobile. And I was kind of, you know, miserable. I had an amazing boss and an amazing team, but I it wasn't the work that like lit up my soul, you know, like these like truck press releases. And so one day I had this um, writer friend, John Reed, who was here in New York, and he sent me a um, a message on Facebook Messenger. And he was like, are you bored? And I was like, yes, I'm so bored. (laughs) How did you know? And he was like, well, I have this friend who's opening up this space in New York City. And, um, you know, he's looking for writers for his publication about psychedelics. Like, maybe you'd be interested in speaking with him. So I got in touch with uh, Ken Jordan, who was running Reality Sandwich at the time and founded Evolver Reality Sandwich and was in the process of creating The Alchemist Kitchen. And so I started writing articles about psychedelics and trees and mushrooms and consciousness and all of this for Ken, these sort of like short blurb articles. And he was kind of teaching me um, that style of writing. And, you know, I'll never forget he one day he was like, what if you just moved to New York City and like did marketing for us at the Alchemist Kitchen instead of for Ford? And I was like what? So I, you know, I I ended a five-year relationship. I packed up a U-Haul. My dad and I drove to New York City and and I moved here and and started working with Ken at the Alchemist Kitchen. Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Psychedelics are how I got here. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's great. That's great. I think that uh, that's really like something that's cutting edge as far as like I'm doing the master's in mental counseling and we're learning a lot how it can help with healing. Um, how it can help with uh, many different disorders that traditionally, um, you know, have been almost like dead ending with like, you know, just doing psychopharmaceuticals treatments. And there's still breakthrough mm-hmm. symptoms a lot of times. And, and a lot of times the psychedelics can create a breakthrough for many patients. Yeah. 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 So I'm how, so excited you... to hear about your program once you start that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. Actually, I'm halfway through. Oh, you uh, are. Okay. Naropa University. Um, I'm just starting the internship the practicals now oh, okay so, yeah so it's great and then cool. um it's really great i think i wanted to share this quote um by bruce lee um i believe it's from bruce lee um yeah bruce lee he says don't speak negatively about yourself even as a joke your body doesn't know the difference words are energy and cast spells that's why it's called spelling i thought that was really mm-hmm. interesting like how like the, the magic 
the alchemy and the magic of self-talk, self-creation, and how we interact with the world. You know, we in the past couple of episodes, we've talked about non-duality, how like the, the mm-hmm. magic happens because of the fact that consciousness pervades all things. If, if you can talk a little bit about your entry into witchcraft and how uh, how that how witchery has influenced you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that quote. And it's, it's so true. It's words are so important. I think that that's one of the reasons that I love poems because just the word choice of each word weighed throughout the piece. It's so important and um, yeah, potent, but for, for me, witchcraft, I mean, it, it probably came up at the same time as poetry for me I mean my sister and I we were building whole fairy villages we were leaving notes to the fairies and offerings growing up we were very like in tune and connected to the earth spirits of that land in Michigan and aside from that you know um it was never in any organized way but just the sort of like belief in magic um has always been important to me the things you know is I was seeing this quote go around the yesterday and it was like magic is real but it's hard to explain and it made <laughs> me smile because it's like yes like the just the knowledge and the knowing that it's real but like just this thing that's been kind of an undercurrent you know kind of title and as a teenager I had a hard time with both poetry and with witchcraft I I didn't want to believe that those things were possible because you know I was an angry angry teenager with a lot of feelings and and I wanted to reject that and I didn't know and so I feel like a lot of you know my witchcraft now is a little bit more organized, a little bit more professional. I have friends now who are interested in it in the same way that I am. We have conversations organized around these things. Um, I've been lucky enough to study with Robin Rose Bennett and become one of her apprentices. So I'm in my second year of that apprenticeship, um, which is both green witchery and herbalism. And I think that, you know, plants have really informed my practice as both a witch and a writer. Yeah, it's interesting you say green witchcraft. I guess that means about mother nature or natural connecting with nature. Is that what yeah. green what green witchcraft implies? Yeah. Yeah. So Robin, she um she's an herbalist, but also a green witch. And I think, you know, it's just kind of a way to say that like her main healing modality is through these sort of natural forces, elemental mm. forces, um, connection with herbalism, cultivating herbs, creating medicine out of these herbs, and kind of knowing the ways in which these herbs best work with the body systems and with each other. Yeah, it's unfortunate that today's society, you know, as I mentioned in previous episodes, especially with uh, with Dr. Ian, you know, we talked a little bit about how psychopharmaceuticals mm-hmm. are becoming the, the, the major area, and those are backed by, you know, multi-million dollar you know, pharmaceutical companies and how, you know, it's becoming a endemic in the society and how a return mm-hmm. to kind of traditional healing methodologies as well as herbalism might be, con- you know, even complementary to it, you know, being able to return to, to these modalities so that then we can get more in touch with individual power as opposed to corporate power, you know, and telling a little bit about totally. how, yeah, if you talk a little bit about kind of like individual power and rediscovering one's own power, you know, empowerment which really is the theme of the show, you know, finding truth to, to, to realize one's power, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so such a beautiful way to frame herbalism. And I think that herbal medicine is such an empowering um, modality to connect with. Like I, you know, I totally believe in modern medicine. I think that it's one of, you know, the great soap as an invention, incredible, (laughs) like, 
vaccinations. Yes, all of it. But I, I think that um, for me, it, it is like the yes. And, you know, like I've had also so many brutal experiences with modern medicine, especially with just my own personal health, being not heard, being not understood, misunderstood, misdiagnosed, that I've had to, you know, seek that, seek out different ways to, you know, connect with my own health and, and work with, with my own body and actually become embodied. Like, I think that, you know, it's both and right. Like herbs are really great for like listening to yourself. And I think that that's something that we can really work towards in modern society. We spend so much time on screens and, you know, in our own little worlds or like, you know, all the chatter. So it's like to, to really get quiet and be like, this is what I need and to trust that and to treat that and to work with plants and to listen to the plants, I think is a, is healing beyond words, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, I noticed that you have a, um, to transition a little bit, but I'll connect a little bit of what you're saying uh, to that. Yeah. You have a workshop called the Bardo, which mm-hmm. talks about like uh, some of the goals are to like, I guess, to connect with one's intuition in, in writing, intuitive writing. Um, and that mm-hmm. kind of connects what you're saying about kind of finding those seedlings within oneself and helping develop them into written work. If you talk a little bit about how you help others to discover this truth of you know um discover one's own voice yeah yeah I mean so I think we talked a little bit about this at poetry camp but like I I uh, had this teacher who had a neighbor who every morning would run out and like hit this gong in his yard and would yell pay attention pay attention your life is moving very quickly and I think that um you know writing and poetry especially is is such an act of like paying attention and I think that by paying attention listening to these seedlings of intuition, you know, and, and also just like facilitating spaces where we can do this thing. It's very, very important and very healing. Like I was teaching, I had kind of a crazy week this week. I was teaching um, a beginner's poetry workshop online for three days. So like Monday through Wednesday, and I had this crew of, of folks and we were doing just like an intro to poetry. And I, and I felt like so what I found was so beautiful is that all of the people who showed up were already poets like they were writing the most stunning things but mostly what they needed it was just the space to do it and then someone me my function just being like keep going like yes you know you you can do it you're a writer like that voice that you hear that those poems that you carry in your heart like that's true and you you can follow that you know yeah, I love the idea in Europa. They talk about creating space a lot mm. and like creating space for people, for their emotions, for their intuitions. Because a lot of times, and I think that, that concept of creating space is important because um, it talks to the claustrophobia we feel in mm. society that you were talking about with screens and, and, and pushing, you know, especially in New York, I think is very bustling type A personalities a lot of times. Um, yeah. At least that's the general stereotype. But, and I find that's true in my experience as well. A lot of people are very driven to perform mm-hmm. and that creates a lot of claustrophobia, mental claustrophobia around, you know, like feeling cramped in with the needs, the demands of, of ongoing society. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's hard, right? Like it's hard for us to separate out what's ours and what someone else's and what's our own Oops. intuition versus, Oh, Oh, my, my, 
my thing hit. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, no, you're good. But it, I, I feel like too, it's, it's when we're, when we're all so close to each other, it's hard to like suss out those spaces. Like, okay, this is mine. And then this is yours. And then how can we meet and work on those things together instead of just all kind of bleeding into itself, you know? Mm, yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Because already now, you know, we, we understand the interdependence, interconnectedness, how one person's healing actually helps others, but also, when one person is cramped or claustrophobic, it has a rippling effect on the hive. You know, it has on the hive mind that, you know, it makes everyone else feel anxious. And, and we're always carrying the burden of all the people we have to kind of cleanse and purify ourselves in order to purify the whole, you know? So how and yeah. the self-care is such an important radical act, yeah. I was thinking like at, before we were talking and I was reading some of, you know, the questions and just kind of thinking and meditating and thinking about like the title of the show, right? Like truth to power. And I was thinking about that quote and I don't remember who says it now, maybe you will, but it's that not, no one is free until everyone is free. Mm. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things that I love, in this life are about helping both myself and others get free and to understand that you know like you were talking about plants with sovereignty or poetry with voice and with intuition and listening and and I think that that's really you know foundational to the things I care about yeah exactly these are the fundamental truths that we rely on that help empower us to to be you know act in the community to go out there in the community and and feel empowered to and even our own life to feel empowered to manifest the things uh, that I think manifestation work seems to be connected to. Uh, and tell me what you, how you connect manifestation work to witchcraft or, or spell work or this kind of thing. Like when you, when you write down something as a powerful effect of manifesting the energy in your life, it seems to me, uh, how, do, how do you connect with that? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I don't actually, I don't connect so much with manifestation as a, as a tool or a modality, but I, I connect a lot with, um, with intention and intention mm. setting and, you know, the things that I feel like that have worked the best for me magically have been when I've said, said something as it is speaking, you know, just having spoken it or written it and then committing to it every day where it's mm. like just, yes, magic is real. Yes. It is operating on the uh, underbelly, but also just like the, the commitment to self and the commitment, like you were saying too, of empowerment, like that, that is what makes the wheels of magic spin, you know, like the daily showing up to that belief. Um, mm. And so for me, intention has, has kind of been the best unfurling knowing that, you know, whatever it is, and, and I think it might have been um, Dr. Pinkola Estes who said this, but it's like whatever you're seeking is also seeking you. But to me, like the key word in that is seeking, like that intention, mm. that going out, not just that it's moving towards you all the time, but rather mm. you move towards it too. Yeah, it's interesting when you talk about intention because it's like it's in your experience, you, I, I understand you've also done some collaborative work. So when you mm. have two people meeting, with the different intentions perhaps and coalescing into one one thing you know how do you feel like collaborations you know influence the the intention setting as you're talking about like two different people two different uh, like maybe intentions crossing yeah or collaborating yeah. or something as that work yeah i i feel like well I, I love collaborations i think that they're so much fun and um create really spontaneous magic that might not have been made otherwise. Um, 
and, and I just I love I love people too and, and people's creations and so um I think that as far as intentions go in collaborations like oftentimes the the more the merrier right like we all have our own our own dreams that we're um moving to and towards and if we can all help each other get there through partnership like that's that's just great I I mean I've never seen I've never partnered with anyone who had a completely contrasting perhaps intention to me because you know we all ultimately wanted wanted the best thing for everyone involved you know Mm, yeah it's like um you know we track we track in or pull in people who have some similar modalities and then uh, from there, you kind of meld something perhaps new and kind of in that synthesis, uh, you know, antithesis, uh, uh, kind of synthesis of, of various species, you know, kind of a thing. That kind of alchemy yeah. of that, yeah, kind of creating a melding together, perhaps a meaning together of, of intentions, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And there's some things that I, I do by myself because I'm a deeply private and secretive person at heart. Yeah. Like I really am. And so I, I, you know, there are some things that I do keep for myself. And there are some things that, you know, I'll bring to my monthly circle at Robin Rose Bennett's house and all of the uh, people that are there will kind of like, you know, back up that intention. And, and you know, once I speak that up and I know that I know that they're in my corner and that they want what's best for me, you know. Yeah, so yeah, it's really great. It's really good. And you, you, we, well, I want to just touch base on Pandemic Calm as well. How that, mm. how that project, um, like, was part of your process. Um, if you tell us a little bit about how that process worked out, I know you're doing it remote. Actually, I participated in it uh, in one yeah. of the poems. Yeah, I believe I participated in one of the poems uh, where we did like a correspondence with another person through Post Side of New York. It was right, and then yeah. uh, we corresponded. Someone, each one wrote one line. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it was probably March 15th and I had just come back from a, a really painful funeral in Michigan. Um, we lost my mom's best friend and I then New York City shut down and I just <laughs> was like, what is happening? And I was just having a really difficult time, to be honest. And I was sitting like right here on the couch and I was just like, I think I was drinking wine and I was just like, kind of like panicking. I was like, ah, like the grocery stores are empty. I don't know what I'm going to do. This is crazy. Is this the end of the world? And, and then I kept getting work emails and I don't know if this happened to you too, but I was like, is this is absurd. <laughs> like, <laughs> people were like, oh, I need this deadline for this copy or this email marketing campaign. And I'm like, Hey guys, like, don't you realize that like, life as we know it has like been forever changed can we just like talk about this for a second maybe pause some marketing campaigns like what's going on and I realized that like I just needed to text a couple of friends so I texted Jackie and Emmy who you know and um I was like hey guys like will you write poems with me and they responded immediately, like within 30 seconds. And they were like, yes, but what does that mean? And I was like, okay, great. I'll send a first line and then you guys will write the next lines. And then we'll just pass the email back and forth until one of us calls finish, like no rules, whatever. So we made these poems every day from March, maybe 16th until June 1st of 2020. And, um, 
we started sharing them on social media and other people started being like, well, I want to write one too. Mm -hmm. So we started writing with strangers and like people, I built a website. So it's pandemicpoems.org. And they're all kind of living up there, but um, uh, people could input during their time, their email in there. And I would pull the email out and I would write to them and I'd say, let's make a poem. And so over the course of those, you know, three months, I think I wrote 200 poems with people all over the planet, which was just so much fun. Um, And, you know, everyone from like my great aunt to a poet laureate to my sister to other PSNY poets just like a huge variety and we ended up with PSNY running um we called it May Day on May 1st and I think that that's what you participated in is where we like a bunch of people put their like put their emails in for free we matched everybody up and then we wrote one giant sonnet crown and I think that there was something like a hundred sonnets that we strung together into this one giant poem um in May of 2020 which was yeah just a beautiful collaborative art making during a really difficult time you know Mm. yeah really beautiful I think it's interesting how the energy of the events the pandemic was infused, you know, I'm sure like that brought through a lot of things uh, for people, um, you know, brought up, brought up a lot of unconscious forces. You know, we talk about, um, you know, archetypes or like, you know, the archetype of the, you know, I know what, what archetype do you think are applicable in these past few years? I think the hermit was like really applicable to like, you know, going inward and trying to figure out, you know, um, what's going on in our lives, as you were saying, as you're commenting on in, in uh, examples with um with work you know how you know it seems like the world wants to push onward but we have to take that moment to like reflect and 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 then uh re-energize yeah so um yeah thinking about archetypes and and uh the the tarot well i think lee was a major part of your uh your process uh thinking a little bit about that and about how that has influenced you and, and channeling and all this kind of stuff yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think the hermit is such a such a beautiful archetype to bring in. And, you know, I also think about the hanged man, the sort mm-hmm. of like stillness of like, you just have to, and in the picture, he's often strung up by his foot. I have one deck where the hanged man is a bat. And I, I really like that kind of interpretation, the sort of like nocturnal upside down, just like waiting, sort of sleeping. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I love tarot and I love oracle decks I I don't read professionally but I read for myself um and and I think that what's so wonderful about those you know tools is that they can really provide like windows um or shared ideas or sort of like um outside almost perspective like it can kind of meet your moment and be like hey yes like all of that that you're thinking but also what about this entry point or this entry point and it can create a whole new whole new picture of of the story and of the problem yeah yeah I think definitely in my experience like you know there acknowledges the fact that in the human experience there are many different pillars of energy and that we tap into that unconsciously or consciously and we're influenced by that consciously and consciously. Um, you know, it's interesting when you think about personas uh, and personas mm-hmm. and how we may take on, you know, you can take on a persona of like a corporate person or like the poem and the way it's just different masks we wear, if you will, different faces that we're putting yeah. on. Uh, and then you said that and the secret face and all this kind of thing, and the, the different aspects of the personality. Um, you know, 
as many people, many listeners probably already know this, but I'll just introduce it as though they don't. Poach Side in New York does this kind of masquerade or this kind of with the poetry brothel, does like um, mm. your personas and, you know, different faces. And I believe your persona was Bambi, was it? Or, yeah, was it Bambi yeah. or is Bambi? I tell Bambi. us a little bit about how you created that and, and your experience with the, uh, the poetry brothel, yeah. Yeah, so I was I was sitting in the alchemist kitchen when I first moved here and I was like, okay, like these are my plant people, my witch people, where are my poet people? So I was mm. searching in my laptop, I'm like, weird poetry, New York City. <laughs> and the poetry brothel popped up and I had been a little bit familiar. I think I'd had a couple of friends when I participated in the New York Arts program that had, you know, volunteered or worked with them. So I like loosely kind of understood what they were about when it came up on my screen and I was like okay, this seems, this seems great. And, and the woman who was doing the event programming at the time of the Alchemist Kitchen was big into the immersive theater scene, um, Nessa. So such an incredible artist, but I was like, Nessa, will you help me create this character? I have to apply with the character. And so we sat there and she and I sketched out Bambi together, um, which was just so much fun. And Bambi has definitely, you know, there's been an evolution of Bambi over the years. I've been with the Poetry Brothel for five and a half years now, mm-hmm. which is pretty crazy. I can't believe it. But um, yeah, that's that's kind of how she came into being. And, and mostly Bambi has just been a function of like an extension of myself, one who, you know, has more, a little bit more freedom and uh, a little bit more self-possession. Um, because in my everyday life, I often don't get to like stand on bars and wear cowboy boots and like <laughs> yell at bar patrons, you know, so it's my it's my coyote ugly moment. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really great that, um, you know, the the uh, I've been to some of the uh, galas and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really nice to, you know, kind of um, create. I also I, I had stuff on the show earlier on in the in the broadcast in the in the like 2017 or 18 and cool. we talked a little bit about the evolution of Poach Side in New York, so people can look that up, um, look that episode up yeah. and, and find out more. Um, definitely a very good organization, a very strong presence. Uh, you know, they do the they do the typewriter project, which is also a bit of a stream of consciousness kind of project which allows the energy to flow and for people to um, you know, write based on intuition. So it, we can go back to intuition, intuitive thinking and how that kind of guides writing. Um, you know, a lot of times people have this like idea of like structure and writing and, and kind of very planning oriented, but that's one modality, but another modality is kind of trusting the intuition and in your practice yeah, and in life in general, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, Gregory Orr writes this beautiful piece. I think it's beautiful. Um, it's about the four temperaments of poetry. And so he kind of uh, postures that the four main temperaments are um, imagination, story, structure, and music. Uh, and so I feel, you know, the imagination part that that's the intuition for me. And, but he, you know, he says that all, all great poems have a little bit of all four of them. Um, but I think that that's a really nice way to th- I was lit up by the thought of it. Um, but I've definitely, you know, over the years, the the imagination has has stuck out for me yeah okay great great so sorry my internet went a little bit off but thankfully you're oh. doing a back off back back of yeah. poppy 
So yeah. good, good. That worked out well. Um, so yeah, so you're talking about the different aspects of storytelling, imagination, <laughs> and structure, and uh, what was it? Imagination, music, music, uh, music. Yeah, story, so, structure, music, imagination. Cool, cool. And it's interesting how there's different emphasis on like um, some writers may put emphasis on one thing or another thing. And uh, where is your emphasis mainly? Where would you say your kind of emphasis is mainly? He kind of suggests that like you uh, have your own, like every poet has their own sensibility and then works across the grid. So like if music and imagination are on one side and story and structure on the other, whatever your temperament is to move towards something across the way to bring balance mm. to your work. So I would say that like I am a primarily imagination poet who moves towards either st- mostly story to um to kind of bring balance to my life but of course you know there's music especially in spell writing I I find that meter and rhythm is one of the the best things I can work with when doing witchcraft and poetry um and then of course structures like who doesn't love playing with the sonnet form or with villanelles or something like this you know yeah I think definitely there's like the it seems to me also the dichotomy between the head and the heart you know being the head being more story and structure and the heart being more imagination and music because mm. it seems like the heart is more influenced by that rhythm, by that, you know, expansiveness, you know, by the, by the desire to go out there and, and create more than the, the mind kind of creates a little more structure around structure around like schedules and getting yourself, but both function a civic purpose. It feels sure. like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really, that's a beautiful way to think about it is that sort of access. Mm. Thank mm. you. Thank you. Yeah, it's good yeah. to like, uh, and then you're, if you have a tendency towards one, as you were saying, to move towards the other, because it's like in that dance to be able to, you know, incorporate both modalities into it. So that's, that's really great. It's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great essay. If, if you haven't, I'll, I'll send you a copy of it. Um, yeah. For anyone, anyone listening to this, there's like f- free versions on JSTOR. You can get free articles. So. <laughs> Great, great. Thank you. Thank you. So I see my listeners of the Truth to Power show. I'm Rachel Brooklyn. We're with Kate Ballou. Uh We're talking a little bit about uh, magic, alchemy, uh, different aspects of writing, how it connects to writing, how it connects to the creative spirit even. I think creativity and, and life is important. We've had a lot of conversations about how, you know, a lot of people may feel, um, many many listeners, many listeners may feel like, oh, I'm not an artist or I'm not a writer. Or I'm not a, in the arts. But they, they, they're creating life as they speak, you know, that creativity can tap into maybe just the practicing, you know, the arts may, the arts as a discipline may just be a practice for the creation we're doing in life in general, you know, we're kind of creating the, the, our life story, if you will. Yeah. And how does that resonate yeah. with you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean that's a beautiful way to put it. We all we all have a story. We all are living, like like you say, into our own stories. And I think that you know, all of us have, I think that, I think that poetry, I think it's Jeanette Winterson who talks about this, but basically says, you know, that there's so many bizarre, strange and stupid things that people like say about poetry. But the truth of it is, is that it's not for just the upper class or the educated because poetry, it's it's a tough, tough language. And for those who have lived a tough life, they need a tough language. And I love what she says about that because I think that, you know, art or poetry or whatever that sensibility is, it, it 
allows for an expression of that story and offers the tough language to the to the tough life or to the joy of life which is you know also important but um I just yeah I think that you know the way that school maybe structures work around poetry and the arts is kind of foolish to me like I remember being asked so many times in high school and I I mean I hope that it's not still organized this way but you know what does this poet mean or what does the poem mean and I was like god like I don't know you know like (laughs) this poet could have been staring at a fly on their ceiling and like (laughs) written this beautiful poem about like what it means to be alive like I have no idea what they're thinking about but I know that it makes me feel something and so in this sort of like dissection manner of the arts like I feel like a lot of us feel like we don't have an entry point into it but it's like what you said like we all have a story we all have this sort of sensibility so that's that's our entry point in um And Emily Dickinson has this beautiful quote about knowing she's read a poem when she feels as if the top of her head has been taken off. And I I think I I just love that so much. Yeah, yeah, it's really great. I think like a lot of times for me, um, you know, we talk about like, you know, the crypticness, you know, a lot of times people, the tendency, you know, Billy Collins has a great poem uh, where he talks about uh, his, it's like, I can't really recreate that, but he's talking to students trying to beat the meaning out of a poem and how interrogate the poem. Like a metaphor mm. for like, you know, in the students, like the students are trying to like interrogate the one like in an interrogation is that metaphor um, rather than, you know, like allowing to giving space to be and breathe and be a living organism. You know, uh, people can look up that poem, um, uh, you know, how he expresses it. But the point is, I think it communicates also that, you know, there's a lot of times the poet will have their own headspace, their own private headspace on secrets and that we're kind of getting a glimpse into that inner world things that cannot be expressed as you're talking about a little earlier, things that they are unable to be expressed in language, but um, kind of are communicated in some level to our innate humanness. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I had another teacher who talked about that, like asking about what a poem means is like dissecting a pig because you lose <laughs> the pigness of it. And I yeah. always loved, loved that so much because you don't want to lose the pigness of it. The pigness is the point. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, redu- it's reduction, it reduces the poem to just, um, you know, uh, conveying information, which is the exact opposite of the point of a poem, which is not to convey information, but rather to express um, a sentiment. But um, yeah, express, a, express something, some reality that's beyond, you know, point towards maybe. And I think that that's such a funny, like, human impulse. I see it all the time with herbalism, too. Like, people will be like, oh, Kate, what is this good for? You know, Uh like, okay, but like, how would you like it if someone said that about you? It's like, (laughs) nettles are good for, I'm like, using quote here, (laughs) many things. But it's like, yeah, it's the sort of like, immediate, like, oh, like, how do I best get my brain around it instead of like, how do I listen to it? Or how do I ask questions Mm. of it? And then kind of make you know, some assessments or, or story around that. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's such a tendency, I think, it's like just a society in general, it kind of pushes towards, you know, getting information quickly and getting information most directly, you know, and, and the idea that we're trying to process multiple things at once also is kind of contributing towards this, this need for a very direct communication. You know, we just want to kind of process this and move on kind of a yeah. thing rather than settling and being in and paying attention and these are different modalities it feels like it feels almost like the the masculine and the feminine um in society 
and how the masculine has been coming uh, more and more kind of emphasized, but now in, in, in the kind of certain circles, we emphasize nurturing and, and the feminine. We talk a little bit about kind of the masculine feminine energies and how they inform you um, as, a, as a poet, as a poetess, if you will. Uh, yeah, you know, those those words are ones that I do I do have a little bit of trouble with because I think that it's so interesting that we've given gendered language to to mm. sort of like reciprocal yin and yang energy. Um and, and I think that that's somewhere that I definitely get a little bit of tripped up. Like I feel like mm. I know I know what those energies kind of feel like, but I I don't know that I want to ever call them that because there's something about that binary that feels very like uh mm. difficult to parse out for me personally mm. so I'm really not quite I'm not quite sure how how so much of of that as like uh terminology that exists in in our world or in in the the world especially of like witchcraft or poetry influences my work because of course those two energies the sort of give and take receiving um extroverted sort of but but to assign the gender is where I get kind of Mm. like wait how did we get here you know (laughs) yeah no totally totally and I think it should be it should be clarified of course I think most people know that you know these are kind of fluid language the point is yeah they point towards something um Mm -hmm. rather than you know of course as you know like you know over the course of millennia you know people have used different as you as you mentioned yourself yin yang and and all these different energies to, to give the giving and receiving and, and the taking mm-hmm. and giving and all this kind of thing. But the, the, uh, the, the, you know, I think the spectrum is very important to emphasize, you know, and, and the ends of the spectrum, or maybe there's no end to the spectrum, but uh, maybe there's different yeah. modalities in between. There's a, there's a module or a energy center, you know, between the two or, or beyond the two that we're starting to explore now, similar to, you know, the movement in history you know, Veda, Vedic astrology that didn't even acknowledge the outer planets, you know, until later. Uh, I don't think that even now they really acknowledge the outer planets, you know, really that significantly. I'm not sure I have to investigate that, but I know, uh, you know, as we discover more and more of the universe, we're adding in the influence of the outer planets beyond uh, Jupiter, you know, um, uh, beyond Saturn, rather. Um, you know, like, um, yeah. uh, the point is... Uh, you know, we get, we're over expanding as as humankind, and perhaps it's there'll so be a cool. day when we could get that. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I, I just I think it's one of the things that my teacher told us, my astrology teacher, which I just love. She's like, we learn the lessons, we discover the planet, like for for humanity when we're ready to learn the lessons of that planet. And mm. I was like, mind blown about that because she was talking about like incorporating you know, Pluto or Chiron into a reading and, and sort of like the things that both of those um, celestial bodies sort of point to being things that we might not have been ready to talk about before the seventies mm. or the nineties or whatever. But um, I don't, I don't actually know so much about Vedic astrology, but it seems so interesting. And I, I definitely want to explore there more, but but it's true. It's, it's changing all the time. And, you know, as word witches, as poets, it's the attention to the changing language, I think is a really beautiful altar to keep returning to. Yeah. It's so interesting with the, um, when you mentioned Pluto, how, Mm -hmm. um, how its status, if you will, has changed. But uh, the point is like um, what it represents being the underworld. And I believe it represents regenerative transformed. I had to look it up actually, because I know it represents the underworld. (laughs) But I just want to quickly get a sense of, um, you know, um, 
what else it represents, but uh, I know it kind of those um, energies that are, tend to be repressed, you know? So, um, like, it's interesting how we tend then, you know, the correspondence of the, the coincidence between its meaning and its status in the astronomical community, you know, astronomy, you know, being like a planet, is it a planet, is it not a planet, it's all this kind of thing, how it co- coincides with its meaning, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, I also think like how planets tie in with the myth for which they're named is a really mm-hmm. interesting facet to to astrology. Also, it's, you know, if you start looking at stories of Pluto in myth or, you know, stories of Mercury, for example, I think Mercury is such a such a cool myth paired with planet just because, you know, Mercury being the god of travel and transcendence between binaries and the messenger and the winged one and the trickster and you know so to think about what the planet mercury influences in a birth chart is it's very similar in a lot of ways in the planets yeah yeah it's so so amazing how you know as society we're starting to enter um i believe now just clarify for me like you know as we're entering the age of aquarius right and uh, I believe you're an Aquarius, so kind of like we're entering like different age and you age. Wait, um, I can't hear you. Oh, sorry, I was just saying about the different ages we're entering, about the age of Aquarius that we were entering, as astrologically speaking. So, uh, Wait, hello, can I? Uh, yeah, say, I can hear you. I was saying, are you there? Uh, yeah, yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Oh, now I can. Okay, cool. It was a, right, it was cool. a Zoom seance we were having. <laughs> Yeah, it's like speaking to uh, to the uh, to the ether, and then hopefully ether will transmit the message. You know, it's amazing how yeah. it's uh, <laughs> the the, uh, the ethernet, the ethernet. You know, but uh, no, I was saying about how the different ages of astrologically how we're entering a new age. Um, I believe I heard it's Aquarius, which they're entering, right? Age yeah. Aquarius. Yeah. So in other words, yeah, um, yeah and how um, you know the different ages and different modalities and different meanings will come up to that will perhaps pass into a different understanding we all kind of hope i mean in some ways in the past uh hundreds of years you know it has 200 years 300 years it's been a radical shifting in the technology age you know it's, things happen so quickly so it's, I, I personally i feel strongly that there'll be a, a pushback towards with a more mystical you know in the next 100 200 years that will start to re re in the individual spirit individual power because there's so much mistrust of uh institutions and then perhaps that'll lead to more individual awakenings um and how the individual and the collective work together to like inform mm-hmm. each other um and your experience with community i guess grounding it a little bit from abstractions but your experience with community and how you know your inner journey and the community journey maybe mirror each other, help bring each other together. I've talked a little bit about kind of your experience community in Brooklyn and, and, in, and larger communities and poetry communities, all this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so you brought up the age of Aquarius, which, you know, Aquarius is the, 
like sort of the the rebel and also the innovator and the eccentric of the zodiac which i just i mean i'm an aquarius so i'm like i love aquarius (laughs) aquarius stuff but i i think too like yes it's all for an individual uh empowerment like you said but all of it is community minded and all of it is community grounded like aquarius sensibilities are very focused on on that justice on that getting everyone free um that's kind of that's kind of the aquarian aquarian goal so um but yeah you know community it's i'm really really lucky to be a member of of a massive variety of of communities here like i'm very i'm very grateful um you know i think that the the internet has as an aquarius aquarius as an innovation sign loves the internet i love the internet i've met so many people through through social media and you know of course it has its pitfalls and its problems and all of this but the way that i've been able to eat, connect with other witches friends artists through the internet has been i'm just beyond grateful and and to all of the the magic and alchemy community um, or kind of around Tamed Wild and Kristen and I, it's been a huge, huge blessing to um, make magic with those. I've gotten to go down to Asheville and spend some time with Shelby Bundy, who's the creator of Tamed Wild and and work at some of the retreats down there, the Tamed Wild retreats. And, and there's, the, of course, you know, like we've spoken about the Poetry Society of New York community here in Brooklyn they're wonderful and you know I I live in I live in Greenpoint and I've lived here for just about six years now and you know the Greenpoint community is beautiful like I never thought when I moved to New York City I would know everybody when I was walking around but I see the same people at the laundromat and I see the same people at the grocery store and I know my local bartenders and I know the dog owners in the park and I um you know, feel very grateful to this neighborhood. It's traditionally a Polish neighborhood. My family um, is ancestry, ancestrally Polish. So I feel very connected to my grandma, Joan, when I'm walking around because she's always was so jealous about the Polish bakeries. And I feel like, you know, communities, these webs of people um, have just, yeah, impacted my work in so many different ways, ways that I'm sure I will be unpacking and celebrating for the rest of my life you know that's how yeah, we're no, here definitely. together PSN yeah, of course. <laughs> yes of course yeah. of course yeah it's been really great um you know to experience the kind of, and I think community is different from when we think about like society it's easy to go generalization and like you know talk about movements and, and among people but community really is about individual connection I think um how it distinguishes itself and the repeated as you're saying repeated exposure to these people like the people in your in your neighborhood in your society uh so then you're able to make connections that are more influenced easily influenced than you know when we talk about society and general movements you know it's easy to kind of get lost in isms and all kind of thing and get lost in the abstractions and and kind of thinking abstractly and things like kind of like without grounding oneself and thinking about grounding oneself in lived experience which really is the point um yeah. And also, right, because we, you know, we can like look. Oh, go, go, go. I was just gonna say, like, you know, we can look at each other and say, like, how are you doing? Are you okay? And that sort of interaction can make the biggest difference in the world if that 
ripples out because all of us, you know, like if someone throws a hand down to you, you grab it, you turn around, you throw your hand back. And that's, that's the the true blessing of the community, you know? Yeah. It's totally being seen, being heard as an individual. And, you know, and, and uh, as you're saying, like, you know, being, being, being able to be honest, more honest than you would in Republic um, settings, because there's, there's more danger, I think not danger, but at least the perception of like, you know, kind of the, the, um, at least in the community, you're able to like make those personal connections. So, and I just wanted to say, um, you know, Radio for Brooklyn is a great community. It's a community supported radio. So those mm-hmm. listeners, uh, listeners um, listening, remember that uh, Radio for Brooklyn is supported by donations from, from, uh, from the community. So if you'd like to support us, please go to radioforbrooklyn.org slash um, donate and make a monthly or, or individual pledge. Uh, if you're listening to the show while in front of your computer, you can figure yourself out by uh, listening, downloading our app on iPhone or Android, um, you know, and then you can listen to the show ongoing, you know, beyond the Suits of Power show, you can listen to various other, there's many different um, shows on the network, so you can tune in, live broadcast all the time, uh, some pre-recorded, some some live, um, yeah, so yeah, I hope that the listeners will consider uh, donating and giving their time, or maybe in starting a show, I know. I went to circle back to Magic and Alchemy, your own podcast, and and mm-hmm. uh, what are some of the takeaways from that? And then we have about five more minutes left, so we'll try to cool. end with that, um, with kind of reflections on your process as a podcast host as well. Yeah, yeah, friends listening, donate and support. It's so important yes, to have you. shows like this um, and conversations like this. You know, I never thought that I would have a podcast at all. Like Kristen Lizenby, she's an amazing writer and friend and she and I became we've never met in real life actually she lives in the Azores which is so cool but she and I just messaged all the time and you know her and Shelby had worked together a bunch through Tamed Wild and and Shelby was like we should you know have a podcast and Kristen was like I don't want to do it by myself so she reached out to me and was like would you be my co-host and I was like oh my gosh how scary like I'm a writer I don't know how to talk I'm so afraid of this and she was like we'll do it together I'm scared too so we just we just started we like didn't know what we were doing like I, KT was another poet friend was our editor for this first season KT kind of coached us along because KT had been editing the Sarah Lawrence podcast and and hosting that space and so we were so lucky so lucky for that guidance because Kristen and I were just like, what are we doing? But it's really unfolded into this amazing um, experience and creative process. And, you know, Kristen and I will pick topics or we'll bring on speakers. And, and it's so interesting to see because we always do our own research on the topic and then we come together and we share and to find the common threads in what we have found or to teach each other new things. And then kind of like have these conversations with our listeners like it has been and I don't know maybe you feel this way too about having having a show just such such a gift of human interaction you know yeah it feels like that so many of the community has such like hidden gifts almost at least from my point of view you know like they they they, they're connecting with their um small enclaves with their gifts but then you know it gave me a chance to jump around into different modalities and get exposure mm-hmm. to like different thinkings. I just want to give credit to some of my co-hosts, you know, Claire mm-hmm. Van Winkle of Rockaway Writers Workshop, who mm-hmm. is a really great editor. Uh, she runs a writing workshop in the Rockaways where I live now. Um, and, and she had a lot of insights about um, grammar and how that can, uh, language, how that can inform 
one's thinking and one's feelings. You know how language, you know, I'm sure you you agree with this, that language has its own alchemy and like following the, the, the structure actually like changes your way of thinking. So you really mm-hmm. informed me about that. And then um, you know, Jessica Hines, the meditative writing, uh, org does a lot about the contemplative writing. And uh, one of her phrases that she used in the show was about, um, you know, replace judgment with curiosity, which is a really great uh, uh, mantra to use. Um, mm-hmm. A really great uh, investigative uh, phrase to use. Um, I love that. You know, it's great yeah, in Virgo yeah. season too, really. Replace judgment yeah, no, with totally, curiosity. Totally. I'm going to yeah, write that totally. on my desk right here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's yeah. really great. Thank you. So, um, yeah, so finally I'll end with uh, saying that thank you so much for being here. I think that the show has gone a lot of phases. And and uh, most recently we had Scott uh, Raven, who, is, uh, who we worked with on um, Nine Cloud Journal as well. Nine Cloud Journal was a, uh, is a uh, publication we created um in the pandemic as well about um, uh, looking at politics and looking at the political through the personal lens. So um, I hope people will look that up as well, nineclubjournal.org, which right now is linked to my website, bjrnathan.com. And I'll give you a chance to, to plug your websites as well. Uh, as we start to end, we have about a minute or two minutes left. So tell us like where we can find you, where yeah. we can follow you and all this kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram. Uh, it's at K8Blue, B-E-L-E-W. And also on my website, katebelew.com. I send a weekly newsletter for free every Monday with writing prompts and celestial insights and kind of musings. And so I, I hope to see you there. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's really great. I think it's good to like, uh, I'm hoping like uh, people will also follow uh which is mm-hmm. uh, the Christine Man Library. And it'll be nice to invite you over to a visit in uh, Midtown East, um, you know, where we we collect mainly psychology works uh, related to Carl Jung, cool. the psychiatrist, psychologist, um, related to um, depth psychology. So I hope that one day cool. you'll come visit us and, uh, and uh, it'll be really great. So thanks so much to our audiences for the past five years of, of uh, a broadcast. Hope one day I hope to return to... Uh, to this or, or some other podcast with Christine Mann Library. We'll see how it goes. So thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been All so right. great. Yeah, really great, great. Thank you so much. All right, take care. Go now, no one is looking. I left the gate open and walked past the waving tree. There was no wind, just folklore from the family. We stood at that tree to wave goodbye. This is how it always starts, with a death, a holiday, the calendar peeled back again like potatoes. I created a world from it, or rather, a world created me. I never knew to sew, but stitched it carefully. I knew death had been there by the way the moon stared. When we leave our childhoods, we don't say goodbye. They live on in the woods behind where we grew up like wolves. When people ask me if I'm a witch, I tell them that another name for Moonflower is Trumpet. I am turning over a major arcana card of myself, so who's to say that myth isn't created as we go? Call this a Midwestern myth. My muses are fields of corn, crows, bean forgotten. The past turns further and wider behind like the elbow of a river. 
When I clear the field beyond that gate, there is just stars, a doe, and my memory. Whatever is past now, I tell myself, was either willing or a blood tithe, and that holds it all. I kneel at the basin of moon, the same one that I caught staring, and I swear I can see myself, decades younger, holding a frog between my hands, whispering, go now, no one is looking.